This is my instant reaction to Scream. put just about anybody in a movie today. If you've got a large enough following and you can stand in front of a green screen and point out things that very obviously happen in a movie while counting them, you can be in a movie yourself. All it takes. So there's hope for me. There's hope that if I become someone who offers nothing creative, nothing original, and can hire a high school student to write my opinions for me, that uh, if I get a big enough following, I may also find myself in, uh, in a franchise. Uh, I'd be more than willing to sob my way into a Ghostbusters. Just put it out there. Just put it out there. Okay? If podcast needs a fellow podcaster, just a si- sidekick to carry his equipment around, or a jealous, angry man-child to cry about how his podcast is suddenly more popular than mine because he's had all the Ghostbusters on. If you just need a nice little cameo to talk about how toxic and diseased the fans of your franchise are, then hire me, pin me, pay me. I will debase myself. This is my answer reaction to Scream. Uh, I am not a hack, but I am a shill. Okay, so I will not try to be hacky, but I will shill. For instance, if you go to bingemovies.podbean.com today, you can hit sponsor an episode, and you can get your very own deep dive feature presentation review. Like, for instance, we just spent, I don't know, hour, 45 minutes, not too long ago with Lindsay Washburn, talking about Flight of the Navigator, because somebody paid me to do it. Pin me, pay me. Please, I beg of you, shill, 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 money, 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 yum, yum, yum. Big Dog got to eat. Big Dog just needs to buy microphones and computers because they tend to blow up. Or (laughs) we could do a ranking episode, uh, which we just did with Robert Yanez Jr., the Iron Man of the cinematic universe of my heart, who uh, came along to rank Pixar movies. We came up with a big old definitive list of the top five Pixar movies of all time, and we picked the single greatest Pixar movie of all time, and I don't care what D.W. Lundberg has to say over Nostalgia Cast. The list is definitive. I will not be hearing comments or taking questions at this time. We've come up with a definitive list. Save your letterbox, Internet. You're wrong. Me and Robert, we right. You wrong. Too bad, so sad. Okay. Uh, I will take your money and I will talk about whatever you want me to talk about. I'm talking about this one for free, though. Of course, the patrons over at patreon.com slash binge movies. Anyone who is a clerk or above get instant access to this even more instantaneously than you all listening to this in the main feed. We've got multiple tiers of support with multiple benefits. Just go over to patreon.com backslash binge movies. Make sure you hit all the levels. You'll see three. There's actually four. The fourth one's a kind of limited. We have limited space for limited supporters. 
Uh, we're down to three or four of spots left on that one, and you become like a producer. You get your name on the show, like Chris Williams, for instance, at Chris Will eighty four, I think. Or and uh, uh, he, if if I fuck that up, you could find his name in the show notes. You could have your name in the show notes, get a shout out on very many episodes as like a like a producer of a sort. And no, I will not be taking notes. Okay, <clears throat> now to scream, it's good. It's pretty good. I like these movies. They're not my favorite. I don't hate them. There's none that I think are like real, real bad. They're kind of campy. They're meta. They're self-aware. It's impossible to articulate to you what a fresh revelation the original Scream film was and how it pretty much revitalized the horror genre, not just slashers, and by just simply being smart for the time. You look back at it now, it's a little honky-tonk, it's nothing revolutionary. And in fact, what Scream did was critique its own genre while delivering an excellent version of the film, that film within that particular subgenre. What it also did was it tricked people into thinking that it was just a slasher movie when it was what very cogently this film refers to as like a meta-commentary, self-aware uh, murder mystery who done it, which is really what those movies uh, were and are. Um, but no, it was great, man. Nobody felt safe. You didn't know who was going to die. You didn't know who was going to live. It was a movie that was so smart. It was seemingly, it felt at the time again, that it was outsmarting its audience, even as it, it, the movie was happening, which is very hard to do. They didn't really manage to do that in the sequels as much. Although I think scream two is a pretty decent follow-up. Uh, Scream 3, I know a lot of people don't like. I have really no problem with that. Uh, it's not my favorite, but I don't really have a problem with it. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, it's messy in some parts. And, but it's been a while since I revisited it. Uh, all I'm going to say is there's five of these fuckers now, so mm, do the math. Now, the fourth one, I kind of liked at the time, but I also felt like now we're getting in a territory where you're maybe being too clever where you're getting into this degree of self-parody. You're, you, you, you basically, you, what you did was in 2011, which is now you know, 10, 12 years ago, you did what the trend was at that time, which was hard reboots. In the early 2010s, we were hard rebooting everything from Clash of the Titans. And in fact, if you go back to some of the earliest episodes, if you can find them, of this podcast I did with my dearly departed former co-host, R.I.P. Pat, May he rest in peace forever. Rest in power, my king. Um, that's, that's like every episode we did was just like reboots, reboots. We talked about reboots. We reviewed reboots. We did episodes about reboots. And reboot culture is really like the primordial ooze from which this podcast crawled its way out of. Uh, we have transitioned from that because most of those have failed into a more Star Trek-style soft reboot. Requel is this movie calls it, which basically says, hey, all the stuff you loved, it still happened. And all the characters you loved, it still happened. But we're going to have our own like tangent adventures, Hill Valley B versus Hill Valley A over here. And you can kind of have your, your version. We pay homage to it. Now we're going to go off and do our own thing. That was like pretty fresh and innovative, but also because it's happening with like warp zones and, and, you know, photon torpedoes and it's so far in the future and time travel and black holes and planets and whatnot. 
you kind of accept it because it's science fiction. What the decision was made, what most of these movies do is they try to be a, a sequel, really a legacy sequel. But while the, you know, hey, it's hey, hey, everybody, here's this thing, you know, uh, all the characters you love are going to be in it. They're not going to do anything, but they're going to be here. In fact, a lot of them are going to die. Um, but you know, everything of consequence of the movie that you loved or the trilogy you loved, the series you loved or the cartoon you love, whatever it is that you love that brought you here today to spend hard earned money to buy a ticket. Uh, we're going to do away with all of that. And you're going to watch us dismantle the thing that you love. The thing that, that, the thing that, that we marketed to you. That was a trick. Welcome in. Uh, Star Wars is dead. The force is bad. Jedi's are bad. Luke Skywalker's bad. La 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 la. And that, like, that's where we've been, is all of these sort of soft reboot, basically backdoor reboots, just trickery, that's basically just been there to give kind of a fuck you to the fans and go, hey, you know, time to grow up. Why do you even love this thing? It's stupid. And then, you know, then you have people who are like, I don't know, like to be abused. And they go, oh, well, you know, see, the thing is, you're just not smart enough to get it. No, I'm smart enough to get it. I was swindled. They sold me a sequel. Then they told me all the stuff that I just watched throughout my childhood or five years ago or 10 years ago, however old I was. None of that mattered. Matrix Resurrections. Hey, yeah, well, none of those movies matter. You just have a character say it. None of that mattered. Nothing I did mattered. Well, I'm sure glad I sat in the theaters for, I don't know, nine and a half hours of my life watching this shit two out of three of which i didn't like uh just for you to tell me 20 years later yeah it's kind of stupid wasn't it fuck you so this movie is as as all of them have been as as scream 4 was a commentary as scream was a commentary on the dead uh slasher genre as scream 2 was a commentary on uh horror sequels as Scream 3 was a commentary on basically just Hollywood uh, and, and uh, uh, imitation movies. Basically, like, they just, they made fun of all of the ripoff movies that by making their own ripoff of their own movie within their movie. So the Urban Legends and I Know What You Did Last Summer, <laughs> they just, you know, and if anything, like, Scream 3 is kind of a takedown on Scream and a takedown on Scream imitators. Scream 4 is a takedown of reboots. And this one is a takedown of soft sequels, legacy sequels, requels, whatever you want to call them, soft, soft reboots. So um, to me, the novelty of commentary and meta-ness, as we've been in this weird postmodern film trend for a good long while now, at least the last 10 years, didn't really do anything for me anymore. It's not offensive here because it's appropriate to the context of the original films. I liked it. I thought the, some of the kills were pretty gnarly. He did have a sense that anybody, just about anybody could die. Uh, I thought the mystery aspect of it was not as intriguing as some of the other installments. I very quickly figured out the who, what, where, when. Some of the why was unclear to me, and I felt some of the why to be dissatisfying. Uh, but overall, I really liked this movie. Um, I saw it in an empty screening at a weird time pretty much by myself uh and sat near no one was masked the entire time and didn't eat popcorn didn't drink water never let the seal of that mask break 
and I watched this thing and I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I think honestly, I think this is a really good Friday night horror movie, whether it be at the theater or be at home. I say probably don't risk your health. Just wait for it to be streaming. I don't know why it's not available on Paramount Plus. Um, it's pretty good. I think the the general consensus is that people like it, and I could see why. It's 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 pretty engaging, pretty fun, pretty good. It lacks some of the humor and a little bit of the camp of some of the earlier uh, movies that I kind of liked. This weird kind of campy, self aware but still campy kind of weird vibe that they had. Um, it cuts down on a lot of that Kevin Williamson bullshit that has become a little bit played out because he didn't write this one. I think he's just an EP. Um, he, he gets a story credit or characters created by credit, I think. Uh, but, but overall, I really liked it. Uh, so from this point forward, I'm going to touch on some spoilers and some of my disappointment with the film. Nothing that breaks the movie for me. It's a recommend, not a strong recommend, but a, uh, uh, a decent recommend. That makes any sense. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm not diving as deep into this one as I normally would uh, with these instant reactions uh, because there's not as much to dive into. The boyfriend is the killer and the very obvious, crazy, nasty, mean girl is the killer. And the movie telegraphs both of those multiple times it wants to present them to you essentially as the killers less so amber the the, the crazy friend from uh, uh once upon a time in hollywood um uh and it wants to play with your expectations and go well maybe it is maybe it is and maybe it's this maybe it's that but I, that but i never bought it there's a lot of head fakes but i never bought them you know uh it, it, there's a scene it's actually pretty funny where the two veteran uh, uh females uh, they meet one of the killers and and who's like playing the wounded victim role. And they're and one says to the other, like, what do you think? And the other one says, eh, it feels like a trap. And of course it is. And I thought the way that played out was great. And that's what I felt like. I'm like, nah, I think it's this person. And every time the movie's like, no, I don't know. What about this? I was like, yeah, I feel like a trap. I think it's still this person. Uh, it's the boyfriend, man. It's Jack Quaid, I think is his name. It's the guy from The Boys. I'm just glad he dies. Uh, I really hate him on the boys, and I was really glad to see him just get the shit kicked out of him and stabbed repeatedly. A couple of the plot points, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but it just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. The inclusion of a very, very de-aged, uncanny valley of Skeet Ald Aldrich uh, into the film, it's very strange to me. Um, we're meant to believe that Sam is psychotic, uh, she is, if she's seen hallucinations of her dead serial killer father, who she never met, telling her to kill, kill for me, Sam, that, you know, you can't deny who you are. Kill, kill, kill. I don't know why this was here. I don't know that it provides any commentary on the need to shoehorn in dead characters. I don't know if that's what it's, I don't think so. I think it's just them shoehorning in a dead character. Uh, he appears three or four times throughout the film. Uh, I'm very uncertain. It's very obvious that the Sam character is a bit like a Tommy Jarvis. She's troubled. There's something horrific that's happened in her past. Or so She's burdened by some kind of knowledge. She's gone crazy. And I don't know what we're supposed to gather from that, that she's going to be what, the Jamie or the Tommy Jarvis of the series? Will we ever see her again? 
I kind of hope not because I think she delivers, the actress delivers the weakest performance in the film. Uh, some of the high emotion scenes that she was supposed to deliver, I found to be uh, quite laughable. Uh, uh, I thought it was bad. I thought it was bad acting. Neff Campbell's kind of asleep in the movie. It's not, she's not bad, but she's not really given a lot to do. She's here. She kind of shows up for the third act. Um, these, these movies, they do this sort of stuff. They now have this problem of we don't know how to get the old characters in the movie, and we just we know you're so excited to see them, so we're just going to have them show up and be there. Like, literally just step into frame, and there they are. You hear their voice off screen, then the camera pans, and there they are. And there's, like, no further thought put into it than that. And that happens for both Gail and for uh, um, Sydney. You know, Dewey actually gets kind of an introduction and some character and some character development in some time to breathe uh, uh, until he's not breathing anymore. And I just, I don't know. I, it was sort of like, there's got to be a better way. And also, Gail's in New York. They're in California. There's an attack by Ghostface. He texts her. Ghostface is back. Don't come here. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. Smiley face. She leaves her show. We see that she was on air. Hops on a private jet and arrives in a news van with a news crew who does not appear anymore throughout the film. They have no role whatsoever. She makes an offhanded remark of like, well, you know, my producers thought it would be good that I be here. I want to go, why? <laughs> like, it could have just been, hey, I'm here. I don't like because of you and I want you to be safe. And there definitely seems to be a, some kind of a further subplot of, yeah. let, let me just put a pin in that. I, I, we have this issue and I really liked Ghostbusters afterlife, but it did the exact same thing where it seems pretty obvious that they shot and filmed a bunch of stuff. These movies, they shoot a bunch of stuff. They have all these ideas of how they're going to incorporate and star Wars kind of did this too. These old characters. Or well, we're going to do this with Luke, or we're going to do this with Han, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. And we have all these storyboarded ideas, and da 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 But we got to focus on these main characters. The new characters, the new blood. And so they film some of the stuff, or they, they script it, or, you know, whatever, and then it gets into the editing process. Like, well, this movie's going to be six hours, so we got to cut all this out. And then you end up with these very like disjointed appearances and disappearances. And you know, at this point, and then you have reshoots and, you know, poor um, uh, Courtney Cox, she has to do an entire movie's worth of appearing, talking to Dewey, getting backstory, dealing with emotions, highs, lows, anger. They have a fight. They cry. They wreck it. So everything that should happen throughout the course of a film now takes place in the course of about 30 fucking seconds. And it has to happen so briefly. And so to the point that I'm like, oh, he's going to die. He's going to die. And he's going to die next. And lo and behold, he's like, well, I'm going to get in this car. I'm like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. Because they're never going to be able to have this conversation otherwise. Like, they're never going to be able to explore any of this stuff the rest of the film. So he is dead and he died and I was right. So it's like either here's a very novel idea. Have a movie 
just with some fucking old people in it and introduce one, two, three new characters. That's fine. Or make a new movie and don't have any of the old characters. It doesn't have to be a reboot. It could just be a sequel that has new characters in it. That's all it has to be. Or just bring in one of the older characters. Just bring in Dewey. Everybody else has moved on, but Dewey's still here in Woodsboro. And the killer is attacking anyone who's related to the survivors or the, the victims or whatever of the original uh, 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 you know, Woodsboro murders. Right or not the original, but the the stand uh, the the you know oh, I feel a little woozy the Skeet Ulrich, Ulrich shit, right the Matthew Lillard Skeet Ulrich shit the Bloomis murders. That's fine. You can put old people on posters. I don't know that Hollywood. I don't know if you know this, but you could just you could just make a movie with like sixty year old Luke Skywalker because it's all going to be CGI and and special effects anyways. You could just do it. But instead, we have to bring him back to kill him, to then make him a ghost. Then do, you know, It's just like, I, what are we doing? So, you know, we get a bunch of these characters back from the other films, and it's like, eh, so, so, I don't know, some of them have stuff to do, you know, I guess. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not mad at this movie. It doesn't break the movie. It's just sort of like, uh... Okay, like that, it's, it just feels sloppy and chunky and it doesn't flow very much because you can tell that like we kind of want to focus on the old people. But we got to focus on these young people because, ooh, you know, and also we need cannon fodder, right? Like that's just quite honestly, we need a bunch of people to die. So we need these young people. Um, and then the other thing that really worked for me is we now have so many movies that point out literally point to a shirt on their chest and go, hey, you see this old logo? We're never going to tap this. Everything else has just been so derivative. Movies suck now. And it's just sort of like, okay, well, you just, Mr. Screenwriter, you just pointed out that the, the thing that I love is better than the thing that you made, which is supposed to be a continuation of the thing that I love. Doesn't make me love the thing I love less or more. It just makes me not interested in the thing you just made. Hey guys, I, you know, I'm going to start a new podcast. If you love binge movies, we're never going to top that. Like imagine if I just came out and said that, Hey, I know people are listening all over the world. We're charting in multiple nations, which is true, but I'm going to start something new and I'm, and I'm barely going to be in it. It's going to be somebody else. Who's basically going to be me. You know, <laughs> but it's going to be different from the thing that you love, but it's the same enough for you to miss the thing that you love, uh, but different enough to make the thing that you love kind of obsolete and pointless. And then I'll, then, you know, the real me will show up at the very end and I'll say a couple of funny things and then it'll be over and, you know, it'll never be as good as the thing that you love. Thanks for listening. Like, and subscribe. Like, what's the point? Do like, just continue the thing that you're doing or do something different. So in, in this, it, that sort of meta commentary is endemic to this franchise. So it didn't bother me as much or take, <coughs> take me out of the movie as much 
as it does, say, like in a Jurassic World or some of these other things, Home Sweet Home Alone, God forbid, that have done the same thing. Because that, that's always been a commentary, right? Like, again, Scream 1, commentary on the dead slasher genre and picking apart its tropes. Been dead for, you know, five, six years. Um, so, you know, while sneakily being a pretty good version of it, like we've said ad nauseum. So, uh, Scream 2, a commentary on sequels. Again, uh, Scream 3, a commentary on derivative films, deriv- derivative, uh, you know, Hollywood you know, uh, uh, using, you know, true events and real kind of almost taking down like real true crime before true crime. Um, which maybe would have been a better version of this movie. Now that I think about it, uh, scream four, obviously like commentary on takedown on reboot culture. And then of course this one, which is a takedown of requel culture, culture, uh, or requel trends. So it fits. It's, it's not egregious. It fits. I just didn't find it as fresh or as incisive or insightful. Again, when the character, the, the creepy boyfriend's like, oh, hey, you know, you're not the hero, Sam. You're the villain. I'm like, okay, how? You're just going to frame her for murdering all these people? Okay. I don't care. Like, what is, well, like, there was no cleverness to it that some of the other movies honestly had. There was no... It was just like, we're just going to monologue about toxic fandom. And it's like, okay, I get it. Hollywood doesn't really like the people that they're making these movies for, but they need them because it's a symbiotic relationship and each side needs each other. Uh, you know, or at least at the very least, each side are parasites. The guy, well, that's your perspective. Okay, fine. That's fine. The stab movies suck now. So we're going to kill some new people to get the movies to be good again. Okay, well, yeah, that's fine. Again, I, I, I would have like, preferred almost like a true crime obsessive kind of angle on it. Now that I think about it, I think that might've been a little bit better. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, here we are, right? Like when he's like, you're going to be the villain. And she's like, well, I'm my dad's a serial killer and his ghost tells me to slash people's throats. And so that's what I'm going to do. What am I, what's my takeaway from that? What am I supposed to walk away from that? That, that she's going to be our new killer? Is it like the Jamie Lloyd situation uh, that they didn't have the balls to go through with? I never got that sense. I never got the sense like, I don't know, this crazy person coming back into town, they may be the killer. It was never presented that way. It was never presented as, as mystery. It was never presented as, you know, this is all in this girl's head or maybe it's really her because she wasn't there when the attacks happened. So by process of elimination, I'm like, it's probably going to be the girl who always plays crazy murderous people. Uh, and it turned out to be her. And then I'm like, that's oh, probably also going to be the boyfriend. And I'm like, well, they're not for the same town. So how'd they meet? Well, maybe they're estranged brothers and sisters or other Loomis mega fans. I mean, if you really want to get weird with it, uh, they make them just like weird, toxic nerds. But there is a real life equivalent of this, which is. Uh, obsessives of real life mass shootings, mass killings. Uh, Vice did a whole thing about like basically people who are obsessed with Columbine. Um, and they're not just obsessed in like the true crime sort of way, but they're obsessed with um, the killers. They like have like fan pages dedicated to them. Um, it's, it's very strange. I mean, it's very disturbing sort of stuff. Um, 
they dress, they try to dress like that. There's just this weird, but, but again, it's like women who would write letters to serial killers in jail. Like there is a psyche out there that is susceptible to romanticizing mass murderers and serial killers. So I think if you played around with that or you played around, like you played around with something that almost felt a little bit more um, taboo or you play around with the idea of, um, again, you know, how we commodify real murders. If like, I, I'm not here to shame anybody, but if you love the podcast genre of a couple people drinking wine and make cracking jokes, talking about somebody's daughter's rape and murder, you're at the end of the day, you're laughing about somebody's rape and murder. You can say all you want up front. Well, you know, it's not real. You know, we're, we're just, this is how we process, but somebody's dead and somebody's grieving. And they're going to carry that pain forever. You know, there's something exploitative about true crime. Because we, we, we actually, we, we, we dehumanize the victims to focus on, ooh, the, the macabre psychology of these twisted individuals. So, there, you know, there's a commentary there that I think is a little bit more potent than Hollywood is bringing back old people to make things that we liked before because they're out of ideas. So the killers are out of ideas and they don't want bad sequels. So they're going to kill to get a good sequel. Okay. Something about that. I just, I didn't hate it again. It fits the franchise, but it didn't really do anything for me. I don't know what they want me to gather from Billy Loomis's creepy uncanny Valley DH face showing up. Uh, I don't know why he needed to be a part of this. There's a, the twist about Stu's house. I thought was worked pretty well. I didn't catch it. And then when they revealed it, it worked. I wasn't like, oh my God, because like we've, we've, it's Billy Loomis's mom and it's this and it's that. And it's that. So we've been down that road. And I think to some extent, I think the franchise is maybe just a little bit out of gas. And yet I say all that to say, even though I wasn't really surprised by the movie, I think it delivered like a really, really solid, like fun murder mystery i wouldn't even call it a horror movie i wouldn't even i wouldn't say it's scary i think it's a nice murder mystery it's a it's a why done it and i like those so i like this so those are my thoughts more or less i know i I didn't have anything like profound to say about this movie because there's not that much to it uh but i did like it i think it's a worthy addition to the franchise I think I'd like it better than four. Like I said, time will tell if we do a definitive ranking. We do have a couple of horror, horror aficionados uh, who are associated with this podcast, uh, contributing hosts elsewhere in the world, who I will put on the record rejected a satin Ghoulies 2 jacket. This guy would not wear a satin jacket with snappy buttons in the front. The ghoulie coming out of a toilet. And yet I love him still. And I would love to have him on the podcast. I don't understand why you, why anybody, let alone an Australian, wouldn't want to have a ghoulie popping out of a toilet on his back as he walks down the street. But we're in a professional setting. We're to work on a chilly spring or fall morning. You just need a little something. You know, keep you warm, a windbreaker, as it were. 
I got you covered, literally, in a Ghoulies 2 satin jacket. Come on. Get up, get down, get down with the sickness, brother. But if I can't get that guy, there's another guy I can think of uh, could rank these movies. It's a little bit like, you know, herding cats. Uh, But when our powers combine, a lot of magical things happen. So I'm thinking about it. Thinking about it. Well, you can tell me what you thought about Scream, which is really Scream 5. We got to get just back to just calling shit Scream 5, Ghostbusters 3. Like all of these like semicolons and colons and fuck this, fuck that. I I don't have time for it. Just it's, it's, it's die hard this, die hard this. Fuck it. It's die hard 2. It's die hard 3. It's die hard 4. It's Death Wish 17. You son of a bitch. It's, we just get the fuck back to putting numbers on shit. Fuck it. Don't make a movie about how requels suck and how about a stab eight should have just been called, you know, uh, instead of just being called stab, it should have just been called stab eight and then do the same goddamn thing. It's not funny. It's not clever. Just be scream five. If, if they make another one, which this one's making all the money, so they probably will. For fuck's sake, just be Scream 6. Or if you really want to be fucking clever, just call it Stab. All right, on that note, tell me what you think. Until next time, binge on.